Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Amen. Come on, lift your hands. Father, I'm asking that your people would hear your voice today and not mine. Let your word shape us, change us, and mold us like only you can. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated in the house. Open your Bible. Open God's holy book. To 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. We'll read our foundation verse for this series. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9 and 24. It says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. One translation says, run to win. Let's say that together, run to win. So for you and for me, the concept that we are in a race, matter of fact, that word race is the word stadion in the original language. It's the similar word where we get our word stadium. So don't you know that you're in an arena? Come on, somebody. Don't you know that you're in an arena and everybody in the arena is involved in it, but only one's going to win the prize. So make sure that as you're in the arena, don't just be there, but run as if to win or run that you may obtain. The concept of living a life fighting the good fight of faith is one that you have to constantly remind yourself because sooner or later, it's going to get very enticing to go sit on the sideline, eat some popcorn and begin to criticize everybody who's actually on the field. It wasn't long ago. Um, uh, our family, let me say it differently. Our family, we, we prioritize personal evangelism at a high level. My youngest child is nine. My oldest is 14. And, and so from the time they were born and long before then, we have prioritized um, uh, personal evangelism. Matter of fact, when people get born again at our church, I consider all of us as a part of that. The Bible says that when, when we partner together, that every one of us is a partaker of every grace that's on that particular ministry. So when you tithe and offer into this house, when you serve on the first touch team, when you help pull the wagon, when one soul gets saved, and there's many, many more than one. Come on, somebody that gets born again at this house. But when one person gets saved, you're a partaker of that. So for, for our family, per, me personally and my own personal family, we do not, we do not take those as our own you know, uh, acts of, of seeing the hand of God work. Certainly we're a part of that as you're a part of that, but we consider personal evangelism, what we do, come on Monday through Saturday. You know what I'm saying? What we do on the street, what we do. There are times where we literally go. And the purpose of where we go is to go witness to people while we're there. Matter of fact, Crystal, uh, she asked me one time if, if there were some people and they wanted to go to Santa's wonderland. Santa's Wonderland, if you're watching online, it's a very big Christmas attraction that is in our city. It's incredible. It's worth Googling. It's worth looking up uh, and going there. But I have a, a hard and fast rule. I don't go to Santa's Wonderland on the weekend. Because Santa's Wonderland has a bunch of Christmas lights and you drive through the Christmas lights and, and you can be in line for two, three hours just to get on the ride to go and do the Santa's Wonderland ride. 
So I have a hard and fast rule. We go several times a year usually, but I don't go on the weekend unless somebody is not born again. Then I will go because there's nothing better than having two hours where you got nothing to do but talk to somebody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. So she, she said, yeah, I said, I'll go. So, whatever. so she brings these people come and they're from out of town and, and they come and they go, or they come and they go to Santa's Wonderland. And I said, I said, man, I said, let me talk to you about this. I'm talking about this. And before it was a Saturday night, well, I talked about the Lord for, we were in line. This is not an exaggeration for over three hours. And for those three hours, I'll bet I said the name that's above every name 150,000 times. I said, you know, Jesus just changed your whole entire life. I mean, think of this place. Christmas, uh, uh, Santa's Wonderland is all about Christmas. You know, you can't even have Christmas without Christ. Everybody's just sitting there eating popcorn. And like, this brother talks about Jesus a lot. I'm saying, Jesus changed my whole life, changed my wife's life, changed the kids' life. I said, man, it's just beautiful. I said, our whole purpose in living is loving people born in Christ. Who else wants some popcorn? I go get some popcorn. I bring it back, stand back in line again, just start talking about Jesus again. I said, you guys should come to church with us tomorrow. What are you doing tomorrow morning? Well, you know, we're at a hotel. Take us a little while. I said, man, you should just get up and go to church. Well, I tell you, you're going to have a lot of fun. Get up, come to church with us. Yeah, well, you know, we have our kids. I said, you wouldn't believe it. I said, we have an incredible kids' ministry. I said, well, you know, it's kind of early. I said, oh, is it earlier than taking them to school? Well, you know, you know, it, it, I said, I think you should come. I said, it'd be wonderful. Incredible. 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 They showed up to church. They said, right here, right on the front row, get done preaching. And all of a sudden I said, if you've never given your life to Jesus or you feel like you're far from him. See, you've heard me say it a thousand times if you come to this church, but the truth of it is I'm talking to the one or the dozen or however many people it is that might be in that situation. So as a member of the kingdom, when that moment starts, that's when saints ought pray. That's when we shouldn't dial out and go, okay, I'll probably stop by and get some Chick-fil-A. Nope, not getting Chick-fil-A today. That's not when we start thinking about mowing the yard. It's not when we start thinking about the football game. That's when we start thinking about, Lord, if there's anybody hearing this message today that is far from you, I'm asking that it would crescendo to a place where they are converted like you have converted me. Lord, would you save them? Would you, would you knock on the door of their heart loud enough that they would swing it open and you would come in and give them life? Would you do that for me, Lord? So we're in that moment, they're sitting there, and I always typically ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes, because the goal is not that everybody be super secretive. The goal is to remove distractions. The goal is to let the person who doesn't know Jesus yet stop thinking about whether or not somebody's going to be looking at them or not looking at them. So I said, if that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus, I said, when I count to three, I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, lift your hand, pop, and all these hands go up. But the hand that I wanted to go, I don't, it's not that I wanted it more than the others. It's just I had invested a lot more in it. You know what I'm talking about? The hand I wanted to go up pops up. Stand up, pray the prayer of faith, get done. He walks up to me. He says, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, when you talk, your words are like, this is not a church guy. He goes, they're like powerful or something. I said, that's because they're not my words. So what I'm saying is, when you decide to live in the arena 
That means we don't just come to church and eat. We come to church and eat that we might feed others. Come on, somebody, while we're outside of church. Can you give God a hand of praise right there? Flip over in your Bible, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter number 17. If you wanted to know where the story of David and Goliath was in the Bible, one of the greatest stories in the Bible is in 1 Samuel chapter number 17. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. We're talking about the arena. We're talking about being in the stadium. We're talking about running our race to win. And I want to give you some keys that will not, after this morning's message, they will not derail you anymore when you're in your fight. Because if you know what the enemy's going to do, it's not nearly as effective as it is when you don't know what he's going to do. 1 Samuel chapter number 17, verse 20. When you're there, say, I'm there. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. So David's brothers were, they had gone, they were called to battle. So the brothers had been, uh, uh, they had already left Jesse's house. That's David's dad. And they were going to battle. They were going to fight where the, the giant uh, Goliath was. The Philistines had brought an army to fight the Israelites. And the brothers were already gone. This is also after David was anointed to be the next king of Israel uh, following the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul. So David was going to be the, the king of Israel after Saul. Uh, and the Bible says that a prophet named Samuel is, is the one who went and poured the oil on David's head. Now, interestingly enough, and important for you to understand as we read this story this morning, is David's brothers were in front of David and the oil was not poured on them. So Jesse brought the other sons and left David out in the field. For everybody who's ever been left out in the field, you know what I'm talking about. He was left out in the field on the day of his own anointing service. Yet God would not allow the oil to flow on the other sons. Come on, somebody. Did you know that your anointing cannot be taken from you? You can give it up, but it cannot be taken from you. So the scripture says that uh, the, the, sons had, the other sons had gone to battle and David's daddy, Jesse, told him to take some bread to his brothers and he told him to take some cheese to the captains of the hosts. In other words, he was sending food uh, to, his, to his sons through David. So David was effectively delivering pizza to the battlefield. He was like, he was like Uber Eats of the day. Now you got to think about this. This is not long after David had had the prophet of the Lord come and pour oil on his head and say, you're about to be the next king. And then, but one of the very next things that we see David called to do is to go and deliver food to the people who he, who tried to step in front of him and take his crown. In other words, David was still honoring his father even after he knew he was going to be the king of his father. David was still honoring his brothers, even though his brothers had had tried to step in front of him and, and he was still honoring his brothers, even though he knew he was going to be the king of his brothers. Not only did he send the bread to his brothers, he sent the cheese to the captains. In other words, the Jesse and David, they were honoring those that were in authority over the sons. They didn't just run up and act like, act like you can do anything. Remember, do everything decently and in order. 
So he goes and he says, sure, dad, I'll take it. And Jesse says, I want you to bring word back to me that they're okay. He says, I sure will. So that's where we are right now in verse 20. So David got up early in the morning and he left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse commanded him to the trench or to the battle line as the host was going forth to the fight. And they, and the host, the, the group of, uh, of the group of soldiers shouted for the battle for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army. So you got a picture. There were no missiles back then. There were no airplanes back then. There were no tanks back then. So you would have an army line up on one side and an army line up on the other side, and they would have their weapons and this army would have their weapons and they would stand there. And sometimes there would be negotiations to determine that there's not going to be, they're not going to risk losing their own people. Even if they feel like they could win, uh, they might not want to risk their own people. So they might take a payment to go away or otherwise, but they would line up against one another. And there was a lot of strategy happening at that time, including uh, uh, intimidation would be taking place. They would be trying to intimidate the other army. So that would be a part of shouting. That's why you never want to serve God quietly. This is a shouting church because, because the Bible says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shouting is the language of the victorious. Silence is the language of the defeated. If I was you, I would write that down. If you want proof, watch an Aggie game. I remember when Johnny Football was here. God bless Johnny Football. I remember when Johnny Football was here and we were there and there was how many people would fit in the stadium at that time, 90 or 100,000 people. And Johnny Football, I don't know if you got to watch him play, but this brother looked like he was in fast forward. It was incredible. It was one of the most exciting times. And I know, you know, we had a good season this season, but, but that Johnny Football year was a special year at Texas A&M University. And when, when I remember I was at a game, I can't remember who we were playing, and, and all of a sudden, uh, Johnny Football twisted his knee and stayed down. And there was 100,000 people that were shouting at the top of their lungs because it was one of those Johnny football plays. You know what I'm talking about? I think he called the play. I think, I think someone sent in the play, like, like whatever the play was. And I think Johnny football just got in there and said, all right, snap me the ball, break. I think that was the play call. And so he's running all around and everybody's screaming. He's like, Johnny, Johnny, yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden he, he's down and he stays down and the entire stadium just went silent. Hundred thousand people screaming to nothing. And I remember specifically, all of a sudden it probably started in the student section. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. And just like a WWE wrestler, <laughs> this brother pulled a Hulk Hogan and jumped up and you know did the money sign and he was good. It would not have shocked me if that sucker did that on purpose, to be honest with you. He had a knack for it, and I loved watching him play. But shouting is the sound of the victorious. That's why he told the Israelites to shout at Jericho. Because you shout unto God with a voice of of triumph. You're shouting for the victory. And when you get a revelation, you realize you're actually not just shouting for victory, but if you're in the kingdom of God, you're shouting from victory. You cannot be defeated. Even if it looks like you lose, you ultimately win. A Christian cannot be ultimately defeated. 
So you never have a reason not to shout. You say, well, I'm not comfortable shouting. Okay. I don't know what trips your trigger, but I've known people that wouldn't shout at all that shoot a deer with 12 points on it. And all of a sudden they're shouting in a deer stand. They wouldn't raise their voice for nothing. They wouldn't even, they don't even smile. You know what I'm talking about? I know other people uh, that wouldn't shout for anything, but you put, let the Dallas Cowboys score a touchdown. They'll jump off their couch and shout. I love the Dallas Cowboys, but I will never allow my voice to be used for something other than Jesus at a higher level than I use it for Jesus. So they would get together and they would shout at each other because shouting is the, is the sound of the victorious. Silence is the sound of defeat and fear. Shh, shh, I don't want anybody to hear. Shh. Usually you're afraid in that moment. That's one of those, it's one of those things that that's why the devil loves quiet churches. He loves quiet churches. He loves churches that only teach from a poetic bend that try to convince you that, that the things of the spirit and supernatural things are no longer relevant to your life because that's the place where you get your victory. God is spirit. Somebody say that God is spirit. You got to realize you got to serve God. You got to worship God in spirit and in truth. Somebody say truth. The truth is the word of God. So what he's saying there is you can't just worship God and know the Bible and not believe in the spirit. You can't just have the spirit and not know the Bible. You're turning to a wacko overnight. You'll turn into a lunatic if all you lean towards is the spirit. And then you'll start getting offended by every single person who sticks with the word. You'll start getting offended because you have some uh, uh, mystical revelation that somebody else that somebody else doesn't have in your opinion. That's because you went all spirit and you didn't balance truth. And then if you're all truth, you'll start pointing at everybody that has a revelation or an experience with the spirit of God. And you'll start trying to convince everybody, you know, while that, why that must not be the case because you haven't experienced it yet. When the Bible says it doesn't look like this, it's not truth. It's not spirit. It's spirit and truth in a balance. And this is who our God is. He is the word made flesh and he is spirit. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when you know Jesus, you know what God is like. And Jesus never walked around and made one of his people sick. He never looked at at Thomas and said, you're looking a little healthy today. Have the flu. Anybody that asked him to be healed was healed. Surely if it wasn't his will to heal you and me, he would have given us at least one example of making somebody sick. Truth and spirit, spirit and truth. You can't, you can't have one without the other and be in balance. All things decently and in order. So the Bible says that the, the uh, Israel and the Philistines have put the battle in array, army against army. So you got a picture of this. They're in a valley. Looks like a big stadium. There's about to be a war. Looks like a big arena. 
And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army. This brother ran to the fight, came and saluted his brethren. All right. If you're digital, you might have to go back up a couple verses, but go back up to 20. Everybody just say this, say not cute, but effective. All right. This is the year of Bible study. I'm about to show you some things. He left the sheep with a keeper. That's a, a Right after the common, that first verse, in verse 20. Then the Bible says in verse 22, he left his carriage in the hand of a keeper. Jesus was asked one time, he said, what should we do? Uh, is, is, is tithing more important or is this other thing more important? And you can put anything in the kingdom there. Doesn't have to be tithing that we're talking about. And Jesus said in Matthew 23 and 23, he said, this you should have done and not left the other undone. Don't you ever act like serving God is an excuse for you to not take care of your family or your responsibilities. Don't you ever act like God is calling you to put your family in the gutter while you elevate something else. That is not the case. There may be seasons of trials, seasons of struggle, seasons of the other, but don't you call yourself a man or a woman of God and leave your family and act like that was the will of God. Just makes sense? Do this, but don't leave the... Everybody say, not cute, but effective. I know people... I, I could literally name probably two dozen people that are called and anointed by God that I personally know that decided that they were going to pursue something and at the expense of their family and their family was destroyed because of it. And what they were doing was good work, but God never says, do this and leave the other undone. He says, do this and don't leave the other undone. David's dad said, take the bread and cheese. You know what he didn't say? Make sure and leave somebody to take care of the sheep. But you know what David did? He left somebody to take care. Because he's not going to do this thing and leave the other thing undone. The minute that you stop deciding, that's a reasonable excuse. Because you have something else to do. Therefore, I'll just you know, act like an ostrich and stick my head in the sand and not care if it turns to shambles on this other thing that I'm responsible for. The minute that you recognize that as an excuse that is not valid, that's whenever God can actually cause you to be successful in all things. Because if not, you're thinking God can only make me successful in this thing. I'm living proof that whatever you put your hand to, God will prosper. I don't like being boxed in. I don't want to be boxed in. If he says I can do all things through Christ Jesus, then that's what I believe. Therefore, I'm not going to act like because I serve God, this area of my life crumbled. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible where God's going to ask you to destroy somebody else's life for the sake of this. It's not a valid excuse. So David, he left the sheep with a keeper. And then, listen, you got to understand, the battle is about to happen. Or he thinks, you know, they're, they're shouting, everything's going on. So before he leaves, he doesn't even leave the, the, 
the chariot or the carriage that he rode in without making sure it was taken care of. The Bible says, if you can't be faithful with a little, why would, this is why God chose him. There was an anointing service where the next king of Israel was going to be anointed. And David said, well, I would, but there's been a lion and a bear messing with my sheep and I'm not going to have my sheep killed. So we ended up going, is it 10, 20? Good Lord. We made it through like one verse. Does this make sense though? Everybody said not cute, but effective. Because when you're in the arena, it doesn't give you uh, an excuse to leave all the other side of your life undone. You can't go out and be a great soul winner and be a jerk at your house and act like that's the will of God. That's not the will of God. You can't be a jerk to your wife and be nice to the people you work with and act like that's the will of God. You can't be a jerk to your husband and be kind to the people that you work with. You can't backbite and ever and talk about your husband as if he's a slug and, and then talk about uh, everybody that you work with as if they're, you know, uh, knights in shining armor. I'm telling you, you'll destroy your family and, you, and, and you'll go, I wonder what happened and I'll tell you what happened. You did one thing and then you left the other thing undone. This is a kingdom that calls you to higher places. Everybody wants to talk about from glory to glory, but the problem is the higher you go, the greater the responsibilities are. It's not the lesser. It's not like, oh, the higher I go and I don't have to do anything because I've been saved for 120 years. If you've been saved for 120 years, you ought to have a pelt full of, full of souls every single week. If you've been saved for 120 years, you ought to be having encounters with God. You ought not be living off of everybody else's anointing. You can't do one thing and leave the other thing undone. David left. David said, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to go. And I'm gonna... he didn't even know he was going to fight. But when he got there, he said, man, if they're fighting, I'm fighting. I sent a message to one of my pastor friends yesterday. I said, I want you to know I celebrate every single victory you have. And I want you to know every battle you have, I take up as my own, period. And I mean it. Everything I have is at his disposal. Because I have, I have influence in the spirit and I have resources in the natural. And that's how kingdom's supposed to function. Your family's not supposed to bicker with each other. And if that's become your house, then I just want you to know that's not how it has to be. Because if people come to your house and you look like the world, why are they going to want to know Jesus? If you fight with your wife, why are they going to want to be like you? They say, well, you don't know what I'm putting up with. I know there's no nails in your hand. I know you're not hung up on a cross, bleeding out, innocent. That's what I know. So for you and for me, uh, Matthew 23, 23, anointing has to come into your life where you say, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to make it an excuse. And you say, well, I'm overwhelmed. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He didn't tell you you got to carry this whole thing. And you shift and you get out of the world's philosophy. And you, 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 just, you just say, man, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue the things of the kingdom at any and all costs. And, and, and even though I'm the next king, man. That's what David is. I'm the next king. Dad says, take your brother some bread. I know exactly what his flesh said. Maybe you ought to take it, Dad. Maybe they should have packed more bread. Oh, you don't want me to be out with the sheep now, daddy? You left me with the sheep on the day I was anointed to be king. You don't want me to be out with the sheep now? Now all of a sudden the sheep aren't important? 
No, 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 no. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> and he will lift you up. Because you, you can't do this and act like it's an excuse to not do that. Whatever it is. Is that, is that, well, I don't feel like I can do it. None of us ever do. That's how you know you're on the water. But that's where Jesus is. I've never witnessed somebody. I don't know how to witness anybody. Well, I'll tell you, first step, get on the water. First step, open your mouth. First step, invite them to church. First step, have a conversation. First step, lead the conversation in that direction. Well, you know, I don't want them to think I'm a wacko. Why not? I'll answer that for you. Because your flesh is too strong. And your flesh is convincing you to not do something. And it could cost somebody their eternal soul. The year of the arena. I know you know it already. But just like anything else, it's a reaffirmation and a recommitment. This is not a church of passive believers. This is a church of kings and priests that serve our God at any and all costs. We're not going to get to the next level and see the revivals that people have been prophesying for hundreds of years with sideline critic Christians. We are not going to get to the revivals that people have been prophesying for a hundred years. If we make, we make it out like because I was doing all this good for God, it was okay that I destroyed my family. To be honest with you, I would not want to serve a God that told you you have to do that. God does not say that we have to do that. I know there's all kind of different moving factors and it always takes two to tango. But God's not calling you to do this at the expense of everybody else. On the exact contrary, he's made you more capable than you could ever imagine in a thousand lifetimes. And if you will trust in him with your whole heart and not lean on your understanding, when the day of your battle comes, and it will come, and it will be when you do not expect it, then you will not have left a trail of things undone when it's time to do the thing he's telling you to do now. Does this make sense? Come on, give God a hand of praise this morning. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. 
that is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.